Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, I'm Freddie Sayers and this is Unheard. Back in March, everyone's world suddenly changed. From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. So on day one of lockdown, we launched Lockdown TV, a place where we could gather experts, scientists, writers, politicians, thinkers, to try to help us understand what was going on in this strange moment and what kind of world we were going to get at the end of it. And now, due to popular demand, here we are in podcast form. Welcome to Lockdown TV. Today's guest is perhaps one of the original YouTube hosts, one of the most famous interviewers on YouTube. What to me seems to be a very obvious fatal mistake, that you can use any of the tools of liberalism, of open inquiry, of freedom of speech, of respect for your fellow human being, of individual rights, that you can use any of those things to rationalize with the monster that is coming to burn your house down. It is, of course, Dave Rubin. He is joining us live from California. Hi, Dave. I'm an OG YouTuber. I don't know if that's something to be proud of or something to be shameful of. I'm gonna have, I'll have to meditate on that, I think. We were just looking back at the last few years, uh, just before uh, we started this interview, and that moment that sort of propelled you to fame was really in the aftermath of the Trump election, and the group of thinkers that you assembled that became known as the intellectual dark web, that was kind of an amazing time when, when new thinkers were coming through. There was a lot of cross-party discussion. Do you feel now, fast-forwarding to today, that that moment is over? Well, I would say that it's over in that original version of itself. And I think sometimes when when you're in something, when something's really working, when it's really just doing what it's supposed to do, you can't even see it for what it is at that time because you're so inside it. So, you know, so much of the intellectual dark web or the IDW was born literally in the garage of my house. I mean, my old studio, I've since moved studios. Uh, this is now my office and, and also my studio, but my old house, it was just a transformed garage where we put up some fake walls and put some cameras in there and then suddenly started having these conversations on important things relative to cancel culture and free speech and religion and belief and all, all of the things that are that are just so in the zeitgeist right now. And people like Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro and Douglas Murray, of course, and uh, Eric Weinstein and, and Sam Harris, this whole slew of people who truly were, were politically and, and I would say spiritually and religiously diverse and, and diverse by sexuality and, and some of the other immutable stuff that I don't care about that much. 
But something really kind of magical happened and it and it lit fire across the internet. And then it really, I would say, exploded Jordan Peterson more than anyone else. And then I had the honor of being on tour with him for about a year and a half in 20 countries, about 120 stops. And I think we we actually were acting as a bulwark against some of the insanity that has now proliferated throughout the entire globe. Unfortunately, um, you know, we weren't the Avengers. I think people wanted us to be the Avengers and we weren't the Avengers. And it was hard to figure out what were we? we? Were we a television network? Were we a group of podcasters? Were we a road touring group? And we tried different versions of things. And as it is sort of shaken out now, you know, we're all kind of doing our own thing. And I actually think that's fine. Um, but to directly answer your question, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it will become in the future because now we're just we're all just traversing the landscape and it's murky for everybody. I mean, is there any sense of sadness that the kind of the old gang, you say we all doing our different things. It sounds a bit like a, a band that split up and, you know, are we all having successful solo careers? I wish the guys the best, but you've had public disagreements with some of them. A lot of them have become sure. famous in different ways. And there's these things have matured. And I, I, I wonder, has that the opportunity of that moment ended, and in which case, what comes next now for all of those thinkers? Yeah, it's a great question because I think had whatever that was, had that moment been able to have been expanded, that perhaps we wouldn't be in the crazy state that we're in right now, where it truly feels that if you live in a Western country, that the very foundations of these countries are crumbling. I mean, we, we really feel that. I know that you guys feel it across the pond and we feel it here at home. And I know that that's all over the world right now. We're suddenly, as Douglas Murray will say, we're suddenly debating things we'd long stopped debating that we knew to be true. And, and this is a very dangerous position for Western society to be in. So on one hand, I'm, I'm very happy that for the most part, everyone's kind of doing their own thing and succeeding in their own way. But yeah, like, you know, some people, you know, every team, you want the Michael Jordan, you want the superstar, but you need a lot of role players and you need to have people that want to be a part of a team. It, maybe it just couldn't work out in, in some ways for, for sort of logistical reasons or, or really granular reasons. But I would say to your question, you know, I think what happened was the big sort of ideological split was this. The ideological split was, okay, if wokeism is the threat that we're all fighting against because it's against equality, it's for equity, it's destroying the very basic fundamental principles that Western civilization has been built upon. Well, then which way do the, do the old school liberals go? Because most of us were old school liberals, uh, classical liberals, basically. And which way do you go? My feeling was, okay, we've got to build bridges to the right because the conservatives, the libertarians, they're very open-minded right now. They're willing to agree to disagree. Uh, I wrote a book over my shoulder defending classical liberalism where I take a pro-choice position. That's like one of the most untouchable things for conservatives, yet conservatives endlessly support me and are, ha and are happy to debate that and discuss that. And I think the other version of that was the more lefty people said, no, we've got to somehow within the systems that exist, within the institutions, the academic institutions, all of that, we've got to somehow fix that. I just see nothing there. I, I, I view that as there is no evidence that that can work. I actually think in some ways it's helping exacerbate the situation. So I think that is what the ideological split was. Who are you thinking about who chose to try and work within the system from that old group? Well, 
I would say the people that that still consider themselves part of the left. So, I'll, so like, let's say Bill Maher, although he wasn't really, he never came to my garage, but like that sort of liberal, that sort of person that still considers themselves a Democrat, that still thinks that logic and reason can be used as tools to fight wokeism. But within that, I would I would include Brett Weinstein, I would include uh, Barry Weiss, I would include Sam Harris. That's not a judgment call on any of them as people. It, it's a tactical decision that I think that they've made what's to, what to me seems to be a very obvious fatal mistake, that, that wokeism, that you can use any of the tools of liberalism, of open inquiry, of freedom of speech, of respect for your fellow human being, of individual rights, that you can use any of those things to rationalize with the monster that is coming to burn your house down. And that's why we've seen, in effect, the liberals have no defense over this, which is why all the liberal institutions are crumbling. What I'm seeing, and I would say this is more, say, me, Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro, is that there's all sorts of bridges to be built in the other way. If you would have told me five years ago that I would consider Dennis Prager and Glenn Beck and Larry Elder and many other conservatives, not only not only um, friends, but sort of the, the type of intellectual that I wanna be, that, you know, I, I would be shocked and yet here we are. So I see a lot of evidence that conservatives, and I don't mean, by the way, I don't mean conservative in like the strict political sense of conservative. I would say right now the line is no longer left or right or, or uh, you know, red, blue, or even conservative versus liberal, I would say it's woke versus conservative, meaning you're either woke, and we know what that is, and you have to check off all of those boxes or they will cancel you, or you're conservative, meaning you wanna conserve some of the good things about Western society, and in, in my particular case, about America. That is the new drawing line. It doesn't mean you agree on everything about marginal taxes or on abortion. So you, you describe it as building bridges with the right. I mean, I guess from the outside perspective, it looks like you've become more right wing over the past few years. You're, you're vocally supported Donald Trump. You talk about having bought your first gun. These are properly deeply right wing touch points. I mean, is that how it feels from your perspective or do you feel defensive if I say that? Yes, I did buy a gun in the last year. Look, I live in Los Angeles. We've seen our cities on fire. I, the idea that I would leave my, the defense for myself and my family and my property up to the police as they're talking about cutting police funds is crazy. So I see that's one of the ones where it sort of comes off as, well, that means you're more right wing, but that is just going along with one of the rights that's enshrined in the, in the Bill of Rights. I would say if I've moved right on anything in a traditional sense of right left, I would say I've moved right on taxes in that I think that you should keep as much of your money as possible. The idea that the government can somehow do better with your money than you can is crazy. I would cut taxes for everybody. I think the, the entire administrative state is too big. And as for the, the Trump thing, you know, Trump, I always felt, and I did not vote for him in 2016, I voted for the third party candidate, the libertarian Gary Johnson. My feeling was that, that wokeism was the biggest threat as I've said now several times, to Western society. And I think that that's borne out to be true. I think most people now agree with that. It's not the scary conservatives that are coming for the liberals anymore, right? It's the, it's the woke crew. My feeling was that Trump was the last guy guarding the door, that we're at the castle and Trump is guarding the door, the barbarians are at the gate, and all of the elites, the liberal elites, the good lefties, the intellectuals, 
they're all mocking the guy who's guarding the door because he's orange and he has funny hair and he eats ketchup with his steak and they were all mocking him. But I think it's fairly obvious, you know, two months into a Biden presidency, that Biden is not gonna stop any of this. I saw some of my lefty friends saying, oh, but Joe Biden's not the extremist. They didn't go with crazy Bernie. They didn't go with Elizabeth Warren. Biden, well look, Biden obviously has cognitive problems. Something's not right with him. And the idea that he's in charge of this thing is, is kind of crazy. So I, so I don't mind, I actually, I don't mind the question at all. I would say, yes, I, I've gone to where I view truth to be and the best way for humans to flourish. And to me, that is more right. But again, the, the left-right thing, I think, is sort of, in some ways, a little bit archaic language. What is um, interesting, though, from what you were saying and what you said before, is those members of your kind of former stable who you no longer agree with, you were saying they still believe, you think naively, that they can use the tools of free speech, the kind of high liberal ideals, in order to negotiate with the other side. And you no longer think that's possible. So I have to ask, what's the alternative strategy? Well, the alternative strategy is to use those principles, use the principles of free speech and open inquiry and individual rights and all of the things that I believe in. I believe those things to be good. It's not that the principles you have changed. You don't think you can persuade anyone anymore, is that the? Well, well, I think what we have to do really right now, if, if you're just an average live and let live person, if you are not particularly political, but you think that the UK is a decent country. If you think that America is a decent country, you have a lot of fertile ground on the right to talk to people. I, I'm telling you, I meet people all the time who disagree with me on the right politically about a bunch of different things. Look at something like gay marriage. Virtually everyone on the right 10 years ago, every conservative was against it. Well, now they just did a poll this week that more than half of conservatives are for gay marriage. And usually the ones who aren't for it, they just have their own private personal religious belief, which is absolutely fine with me, by the way. You're, you're entitled to that. Uh, you know, your freedom and your beliefs don't get to trample on somebody else's beliefs. People forget that that's a, a two-way street. But I mention this because the point is conservatives have shown a malleability. They've shown an ability to be somewhat open-minded. So as opposed to putting all of our energies to try to fix the rotten, the truly rotten, I would say borderline evil institutions like the New York Times and Harvard, at Harvard, which discriminates, openly discriminates against, against Asian students because they score too high on tests. Instead of trying to fix those things, I think the, the, the new conservatives, the future conservatives, let's say, have to build new institutions, build new educational institutions, build new uh, entertainment institutions, build new technological institutions, that's the place that I'm interested in. The other thing I think is just scorched earth and you're just throwing a little bit of water on it, praying that one flower is gonna pop up, but I just don't see it. So when you now look at the camera and do one of your monologues or you do an interview, in your head, you're now, as it were, right facing or you're, you're, you're talking to a new generation of conservatives because the people on the left, or at least that part of the left, you essentially have given up on. I mean, I, I don't think about it in such literal terms, but I suppose that at some level, you know, when I do my show, which I'm gonna do right when we wrap up this, I emailed my producer some stories over a few days, we pick them out in the morning and then I just go. I, I don't overly prepare, I don't have a lot of notes in front of me. I try to just say what I'm thinking. If that happens to cater to what I'm calling here as say like the future conservatives, if that alienates the wokesters, well, 
the wokesters are not there. They're not there to be talked to or rationed with. That's the thing. I've tried. I, I would be more than happy to sit down with any of these people and explain to them why equality is much more important that, than equity. The idea that we can all have the same rights to live under and then you've got a chance. That's all a free society can give you is a chance. Rather than equity where we all end up in the same place, this is one of the worst time-tested ideas of all time that socialism and communism have brought us. And guess what? You gotta kill an awful lot of people to get everybody to end up in the same place. This does not end well. So I suppose my audience is a little more right, so a little more focused that way. But I would say at the same time, I'm still getting the refugees because you know every day that the woke people go more crazy, every day that they cancel Dr. Seuss or Mr. Potato Head, or go after, you know, it's becoming very obvious now, the problem that they have with Asian people. It's the same problem that they've had with Jewish people. You cannot be a minority and succeed within the woke calculator. So suddenly a lot of Asian people who have, ex, uh, who have succeeded at extraordinary levels in the United States, basically at the top of education and every socioeconomic marker we have, suddenly they're going, whoa, whoa, they're coming for us now. They're not letting us into schools. They're making it harder for us so they, to get into they, jobs. They're crossing We're against over quotas. to your side so, almost. Right, so then they start shifting over. And I'm more than happy to talk to those people. I guess what's sad still, and I, I, I completely understand what you're saying. I get it. Is that I get it. We're now talking about sides. And what you're saying by the fact that you no longer think it's worth persuading those people is that actually the only way of winning this culture war is a sort of absolute victory of, of one side over the other. And it feels like that's how both sides now feel. So that kind of crucible atmosphere of the early stage intellectual dark web, now that that's gone and people are pretty much either one thing or the other, we're in a war to the death now. I would say my counter to that would be that the woke crew, I think, is a very small sliver of society. The amount of people that actually believe this, yeah, you've got, you've got a certain amount of people at our universities, and then they've brainwashed a lot of young people who don't really have you know, power yet. They don't have real economic power or political power yet. They've really scared our elites, our political elites especially. So like, if you look at the Democratic Party, it's like, does Nancy Pelosi really believe in this stuff? Did she, suddenly at 80 years old, she start realizing that equity was more important than equality? Chuck Schumer, Joe Biden, why didn't Joe Biden do any of this stuff for 47 years? But they're afraid of their own base. But the, to me, the silver lining is that the thing that I'm talking about, this future conservative thing, it's most of us. It's hard to see it. It's hard to see it because so many people are afraid. But if you get out there and talk to real people and don't just do it on Twitter, you will see that it is most of us. And if we accept that, that most of us wanna live and let live, most of us care about the ideas of Western civilization and freedom and liberty and those things, well then if we just start building some stuff, we'll build successful stuff. I mean, the thing with woke is that it's going to implode. And it, the question is not, will it implode? The question is, when will it implode and how much destruction will it sow? So for example, I mean, this is just true. If you believe we should have racial quotas at high schools and then racial quotas at colleges and then racial quotas at, you know, at higher ed, medical school, et cetera, and then racial quotas at the jobs because we're all trying to fix racism. 
you're gonna hire an awful lot of doctors and engineers and other professionals who are not the best at their professions. And then you're going to seed all of these companies and hospitals and airlines and all these things with people who are less qualified because of the color of their skin. That is not a racist statement to make. That is, that is a factual, obvious statement. So the institutions, a generation from now that these people will create will be worse off institutions. And again, that's why my hope is on the right, the right, again, whatever you wanna call this thing, we're gonna say, hey, we don't care about any of your immutable characteristics. Do you work hard? Do you have you know, a good ethic? And are you a decent moral person? And all of those things. And if so, let's build some stuff together. So I think maybe really to, to button this, maybe we're just gonna build parallel societies. I think that that may start to be, there'll be certain things that'll, woke culture will have its own TV and apps and all their institutions. And then the rest of us, We'll have a whole bunch of other stuff, but my money is on those guys building the right things. So you talk about your hope being on the right. Uh, who on the right gives you hope? I mean, do you do you miss Donald Trump now that he's no longer in our heads? <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I don't think I never viewed that uh, politics or politicians were the answer to this. I think in most cases they're the problem. You know, to loosely quote Ronald Reagan. There's no problem that government can't cause, that government can't make worse. You know what I mean? Like government, government and political solutions are not really the answer. The answer to me is free markets. The answer to me is human ingenuity. The answer to me is that Elon Musk will get us to Mars, not the United States government, especially because now the government is led by a, an ideology, a woke ideology that is not going to put the best people in there. This isn't NASA in the 1960s, you know, at in, at the government level anymore. I mean, I don't know why anyone would trust Dr. Fauci at this point who changes his mind every week or Joe Biden telling us that maybe we can get together with our family on July 4th. People are just ignoring these people. They 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 actually seem ridiculous. You should make some choices for yourself. So my my answer sort of politically on on that new thing, it's not that there's one person I think that there needs to be a Trump type figure to help us fight, but I don't think it necessarily has to be Donald Trump. It probably shouldn't be Donald Trump. Would you say you missed him? Well, I missed that there was a fighter. You know, it doesn't seem like, like we have much of a fighter right now, sort of leading this, at least at the political level. It's, you know, I like a guy like Ted Cruz. I like a guy like Rand Paul, you know, the more liberty-minded conservative um, politicians. But they're not, they're not really leading a movement. Trump did something that led something beyond politics. It was cultural. And I think that's what the future, in many ways, that's what the future of politics is. It's weird, it has to go through culture. And we don't have a leader. Now, Trump was an imperfect leader for sure. And as I said, I had my own issues with him. I just thought he was the blunt tool to, to fix some of this stuff. So we need, we need better leaders in that regard. I think Ron DeSantis in Florida, I think maybe he could be that. But one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. But he's not sort of a transcendent figure the way Trump was, but also, you know, the, the obsession with politics uh, that we have is also dangerous. You know, I would much prefer we have a political system that's small enough and functional enough that we don't really have to worry about it. So that if it does something completely crazy, it doesn't affect that many of us. And of course, the trade-off is that if it does something really great, maybe, maybe it's not going to affect everybody. Do you think part of the shift of the past few years and part of the shift that, that people observe in you is also the evolution of the media? Because you know, what started as this slightly fringe uh, experiment on YouTube and on other platforms is now so mighty. Um, and, you know, you're a famous man and you have lots of followers that you be kind of become professionalized and, and you, you become a campaigning force of your own in some way. And I, I wonder whether that's happened to other kind of th members of that same group, that there's something about gaining that influence, gaining that power that makes a sort of genuine open spirit of inquiry much harder? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, as the person sitting here talking to you, I don't even know that I can fully answer that because maybe that's not exactly for me to answer. But I would say, well, look, when I started this thing and, and when YouTube started, I was just one of the first people to start doing long form interviews on YouTube because everything was shrinking and I thought it's making everyone dumber and angrier and you can't get any sense out of it. I thought, let's do long form. Well, now everyone's doing long form. Um, and I actually think there's a certain exhaustion in that, an exhaustion in just talking about talking. That doesn't mean that there aren't many, many good people doing it, but I think that, you know, at some level, you gotta go from talking to doing, which is why I started a tech company and that, and that I'm more interested in people that are actually doing things right now, whether it's legal things to fight wokeism or building new companies or whatever it might be. But yeah, there has been a weird shift. And I, I talk about this a bit because it's like, you know, CNN to me is, is complete, fabricated nonsense, almost all of it. It's an extension of the Democratic Party in effect, yet people swallow it as if it's true. Now, at the same time, their ratings are tanking. And we know since Trump is gone, they're losing something like a million viewers a night since then. So they're really struggling right now. And yet we all feel that we have to comment on what they're saying to call out their nonsense. And I struggle with this sometimes because sometimes I'm like, well, wait a minute, I want to focus on the ideas I care about 
not the nonsense that they're spewing, but I also wanna show people don't be brainwashed by this nonsense. So it's, it's, a tough, it's a tough balance. And then of course, at the same time, look, I wear a jacket, I wear a shirt, you know, I, I present myself as someone that is professional and, and real and all of those things. And, and that's what I believe that I am. And I think it helps to communicate ideas that way. But you know, there are YouTubers that are doing these things in, in bathing suits and tank tops that I think are presenting probably as many good ideas as you're gonna get on CNN. Although that's not saying much. What's uh, interesting for us, you know, we're a sort of small channel just starting out really, um, but already we feel some of those tugs in a way, which is you kind of know in advance what sort of guests are gonna be better received than others. Uh, there's a sense that your, your audience is out there and you have to please them in some way or, or either that or take them on, which is, a, which is another thing. And I just wonder what your reflections are on that in this context, you know? Yeah, how, it's another that, great question. Does that harden I, us I would, and make us more campaigny and less, less interesting? I think all you can do, I mean this literally to you, is all you can do is do what you think is right. That's all you can do. I, I never, you know, I have treated every single interviewee that I've ever had on my show exactly the same. I've never tried to get anybody. Um, you know, it, I think it's fairly obvious usually when I disagree with someone, but I still let them share their ideas. Every now and again, I'll have to stop and pause with somebody and say, oh, you know, we have a fundamental impasse on this or that but I don't bring them on to debate them. Now, yes, is it just a function of reality at this point that I can talk to pretty much anyone on the right, anyone sort of big politically or relevant culturally or anything else? At the same time, has it become much harder to talk to people on the left? The answer is yes, but I don't think that is because of me. I have invited virtually everyone on the left. You know, as long as you're not attacking me personally or trying to you know, cancel me or destroy me, I'll have you on, I, I really mean that. I'll, I would have Linda Sarsour on tomorrow, I would obviously have AOC uh, or any of these people, but at some point when doors keep getting slammed in front of your face, and, and this sort of gets us back to, that, to that, um, that divide in the road, either we can keep going to people who are calling us racists and bigots and not interested in open discussion and free speech and all those things, and we can keep begging them for approval, or, we can go, boy, there are greener pastures over there. And what I think for you guys, and, and it, you know, it's all sort of a game because you know, it's a YouTube channel and you wanna get clicks and, you, and then you, know, you don't wanna turn on your audience and all those things. But I can tell you that when I was a lefty, Bernie supporting lefty, I had a certain audience. I did what I thought was right. Did it cost me a certain amount of people? Of course it did. And then I found new people, but I didn't do it because I was going, oh, I wanna shed those and get those. I did it because it was what I thought was right. It doesn't mean that I'm always right, but I, I can live with my own conscience. You're also, you come under criticism occasionally for not taking on guests enough or not being you know, more aggressive with them or, or fighting back. Um, and yeah. you know, I would say we also have a similar, you know, more friendly than aggressive style. The question is, it sort of limits who you can have on in a way that strangely, because you can't really have someone on who you strongly disagree with or who you think is beyond the pale, because the impression that it, the whole thing will give is you kind of endorse them at the end because you let them say what they want to say. So I wonder what you, your thoughts are on that. Do you feel like if what you've lost out in a sense by not being more aggressive because you then can't have people who you overtly disagree with? No, but I'm not saying that there's no legitimacy to the question because first off, 
Oh, I'm just one guy. I think I, I think I do a good show, and you know, I as I said, I treat everybody the same. That doesn't mean that every interview that I've done is perfect, and that's for that's for other people to judge. You know, my hero and mentor who who recently passed, Larry King. I remember watching him as a kid, and I just thought, oh, here's this nice man who seems interested in talking to people. And he would talk to Magic Johnson one night, and he'd talk to George Bush the next night, and then he'd have the animal guy on the next night, and then the cast of Friends on the next night. And I just thought it was interesting, and and as I got to know him, I really knew that he just really liked talking to people and hearing what they had to say, and he wasn't bringing them on to bludgeon them. But to your point, it's interesting, because this is something that only people on the right seem to have to do that people on the right constantly seem to have to gatekeep who they can talk to because you wouldn't want to talk to those far right crazy people because that might taint you. Except the left never has to do this. Uh, there, You're always allowed to talk to the more crazy, radical Marxist, BLM person, Antifa person. I mean, many of these people are now in government. Keith Ellison, who's the attorney general of Minnesota, he's a supporter of Antifa. We know this. You can talk to Linda Sarsour, who's Friends with Louis Farrakhan. Nobody on the left says you have to gatekeep. On the right, for some reason, it's thought of that we have to watch our our sort of worst version more more keenly. Which, by the way, I don't even think is necessarily a bad thing. And it's not like I've had everybody on that's ever wanted to come on the show. It's it's a delicate dance, I would say. Who would but you, I, but who I would you not to... have, Dave? I mean, you've had you had Milo back in the day. You've had Tommy Robinson yeah. who here in the UK yeah. who is considered completely out of the bounds of acceptability by any other media, who would you not have? Um, well, just briefly on those two, I, I have no regrets having either one of those two on my show, just to be very, very clear. I think that the conversations within the context of the time that I spoke to them, as the internet was just bubbling up, as the Trump thing was happening, as all these issues about free speech were starting, I think those were, were incredibly relevant conversations. Um, by the way, I think they were both, uh, at least Tommy was in, I think, fall of 2015. So that's, you know, almost six years ago now. Milo was a little bit after that. Um, who wouldn't I talk to? Well, I don't think that I would find much value in talking to someone who truly was an avowed racist. I, and I mean that, I don't mean they were being called a racist the way we're all called racist. Almost everyone that I have on my show that's relevant is called a racist or a homophobe or a bigot or something like that. So I don't mean the false cries of those things. But if there was someone who, who genuinely said, you know, I'm leading a political party and what I believe is that white nationalism or black nationalism or something else, that that is, that is the credo to which I subscribe. Well, I don't think I would have that much uh, desire to offer air to that. But I would really have to take it on a case by case basis, truly, you know, like you can't just ignoring people with bad ideas usually doesn't stop them. It feels fair to then come back about the example of a homophobe, because the famous clip that people have circulated of one of your conversations with Ben Shapiro, where he said he wouldn't feel comfortable coming to your anniversary a barbecue yeah. or party with your husband uh, because he believes that gay marriage is a sin and he would feel awkward about that. I think for a lot of people that that it was very close to or crossed a line in that, you know, and you've had him on multiple times since then. Yeah. Does that count as homophobia and why didn't that cross the line? Well, as I said earlier, everyone's entitled to their own personal religious beliefs. You know, I also had Bishop Robert Barron on the show a few times, actually, who's from the Archdiocese here in L.A. And he was wearing a frock the whole thing when, when we were together. 
we talked about abortion, we talked about gay marriage. And, and I think it was interesting because he got a lot of hate from people on the right saying, oh, here you are talking you know, to this, to this gay liberal. And I got hate because from people on the left basically saying, oh, look at you, you talk to this homophobe. But I thought, well, here are two human beings agreeing to disagree on a, a series of things. We've, we've interviewed each other now several times since. We're, he's invited me to his home for dinner. I, I actually couldn't go, but he has invited me to his home for dinner. Now, should, should we just say, okay, you have a religious belief, I am what I am, we should never bridge those things, we should never discuss those things, or should we try to find what those touch points are? And again, I think those touch points are leaning more to the right, but as for Shapiro, you know, the funny thing about the Shapiro thing is, look, does that put a cap on my friendship with him? Of course, of course. If I was having a party next week, I, I wouldn't invite him. Sounds I mean, like he I, you know might what not mean? come like, anyway. But. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, and also people would say, well, he won't bake you a cake for your wedding. It's like, I don't want Ben Shapiro to bake me a cake, it's okay. But what I will tell you is this, that Ben and I basically wanna live in the same society, basically wanna live in the same society, because also, you know, I think this will be something that'll touch your audience particularly. There is not one mosque in the, in the United States or in the UK that performs same-sex weddings. So should every Muslim person or every imam be pushed out of polite society? Should every single one of them not be allowed to talk to anybody? Of course the answer to that is no. So it's a very dangerous slippery slope when we, when we move on people's personal religious beliefs. I, I, think, that, I think it's a hard line to draw. Uh, it, it's worth investigating though, because if you say you wouldn't have an avowed racist on, um, the reason ultimately is that if they were to take gain influence and take power, they were, could set in motion laws that would just discriminate and make life very difficult for chunks of society. If Ben Shapiro took power and became, let's hope this doesn't happen because I think it would be quite a frightening <laughs> world, but let's say he became president, um, yeah. he would definitely be urging for uh, gay marriage to no longer be an option, in which case your life becomes delegitimized by someone like that. Does that does that give I mean, you pause? I don't, I, well, I just don't know that that premise is true because I've heard him say many times beforehand that, that it should be a secular institution, meaning that two adults, regardless of their gender, should be treated equally under the law. Now look, conservatives, I suppose, should have been yelling about that for many, many years, right? Where, where were conservatives all the years before saying, get the government out of our bedroom? So I would wish that these people would live up to their ideals. Um, but I don't, I don't fear that Ben Shapiro would somehow become president. You know, also we have something called the separation of powers in the United States. And these are things that would have to go up through the courts and be legislated and everything else. Um, but again, I'm not, I'm truly not defending Ben's position on this. I'm defending his ability to hold a position in a free society. By the way, a position that was held by virtually everybody in the history of the world until about 10 years ago. That doesn't mean, mean it's right. But you know, things don't change overnight just like that. Do you ever get sort of flashes of, uh-oh, who am I now in bed with, as it were? <laughs> um, you know, not, I, I don't just mean Ben Shapiro, but now that you've taken this, as you call it, strategic decision to build bridges with the right, it must happen at sometimes where you're, you're either in a conversation or you're, you see the comments under your videos and you just think, Whoa, has this gone too far? Or, or some of these, are some no, of these I've, people- I've never, I've never thought, whoa, has this gone too far, ever. <laughs> I, I've been surprised. I've been pleasantly surprised, I would say, 
that you know so many evangelical Christians will reach out to me or that I could speak at Liberty University, which is the largest evangelical college in the United States. I spoke there right before lockdowns in front of 14,000 students. I mean, it, it felt like a true political rally. They knew I had some disagreements with them on, on fairly large existential issues. And yet I got a standing ovation and I walked around campus and, and kids took selfies with me all day long. It was wonderful. So I've never, literally never once thought, oh, this, somehow this has gone too far or my audience, because the, because the truth is, I think the implication is sort of, oh, this has gone too far. Like, oh my God, I'm so right wing now as if there's some negative connotation to that. Except if what we're talking about is that I've defended liberty, I've defended the Constitution of the United States, I've defended the right to bear arms and the right to freedom of speech and to peaceably assemble and to fight lockdowns and, the, and defended the history of the United States, which is under attack, just as the history of your country is under attack. If that is too far, well, then I'm still willing to go down that road because now I really, now that I'm saying it, I really want to see what's going down that road. I would say this is a little bit of what the kids call red pilling, that once you sort of see the world as it is, not as you want it to be, um, you're going to start tra traveling down that road and it's, it's a strange place and you're going to suddenly go, man, those people who I thought were all evil and they all only, they only cared about money and they were, they wanted to fight wars and blah, blah. They're not that bad, and actually it's the other guys in the media that are that bad. It's tough, man, when you pull that curtain back and look on the other side. So what do you think success looks like then, Dave? I mean, we, we've talked about how you engage in this battle, whether it's a more consensual or whether you're sort of um, building a rival, you called it, I think, parallel societies where we might, there might be rival institutions to rival those that are kind of more left-facing. What, what's the happy ending that, that you're pushing for? Yeah. Oh boy. It's, uh, that's tough because everything feels so up in the air right now. Like how, and I think it's an important question because, you know, as Jordan Peterson would talk about, you need that star in the distance. You need that, that thing that you're looking at to, to aim you in the right direction. And I feel partly what's happening right now. And, and this is what an obsession with politics does. You never look at that star in the distance. You just wake up every morning to fight fight about this, fight about that. How many congressmen voted for the thing you care about? Were you able to get taxes to this rate so you could do that thing and all of these things? And it keeps everyone in a constant state of hysteria. I mean, one reason that I'm not in a state of hysteria and when I do my show, I can have a smile on my face or I can be silly or whatever it might be. Or I can have a conversation like this where you've asked me very pointed, interesting questions and I love it is because I don't think politics is the sum totality of existence. I really don't. You know, as we're taping this right now, you know, we're in the midst of Passover. Easter is in just a few days. Palm Sunday was yesterday. There's a, there's a really interesting story that's been told for thousands of years about humans fighting for freedom. And, and I think we have to think back on some of those things. But to paint you the, the, the star, what, what is that in the distance that we can get to? What we can get to is a place where because of the, the totalitarianism that we see creeping, we're in the UK, we're arresting people for sitting on benches. In the United States, we're talking about lockdown pa you know, passports, vaccination passports. We're not letting people go to work. I think, I believe in the human spirit. I really do. I fundamentally believe we are the problem and we are also the solution. And that human beings can fix this. And I think if you push us far enough, we will start fighting back. And I think one of the sad things we've seen in the last year of lockdowns is that most of us kind of just crumble. But now it's a year later. We were told two weeks to flatten the curve and it's a year later. And I think an awful lot of people 
are waking up. They're waking up to what freedom is. Freedom is not something that the government gave you. It is your God-given right. You were born free. And I think a lot of people are waking up to that. They are waking up to realize that the this elected class of people, they're no better than us. And in many cases, they're much worse than us, actually. And it's our job to keep them off our back so that you can do what you want for a living and, and hopefully make a, a home and a family that you're proud of. And I can do the same and everyone watching this can do the same. That's not because of government, that's because of the absence of government. And that's what we have to keep pushing for. When you were talking just then, I was thinking about something earlier you said as well, which is that you're getting fed up of just talking and you wanna do more action. And I suddenly thought, he's gonna run. Dave, <laughs> Dave Rubin is gonna become a politician. Tell me, tell me if there's any, any truth in that. There's not no truth in it, but it is not my preferred way about doing this. I, I like communicating ideas. I like having conversations like this. I like, I like helping frame what I think are often very complex issues for people that are just trying to live their lives. You know, when to get us to where we started, sort of when when the intellectual dark web was blowing up, and I'm sitting there with Jordan Peterson, who I think is the leading intellect of our time and Brett Weinstein, who's an incredible biologist, and Sam Harris, who's a neuroscientist, and all of these people who are truly highly credentialed and experts in their field. I never thought I was in that class in a certain de degree, but what I thought and, and believe that I'm good at now is I can sit with these people and take a lot of that stuff and distill it into something that the average person, I think, can understand enough of. You don't have to get all of it, you really don't. You really don't. And I love that space. So look, we're recalling Gavin Newsom, our governor here in California. You don't hear about it in the mainstream news, but two million Californians signed a recall to get rid of this guy because of his lockdown orders, basically. Um, I hope that someone good will run, you know, just because he's gonna run again. Once a recall just triggers a new election, he will then run in that new election. So it's very possible he'll win again or we'll get someone even crazier lefty. But I hope that we get some decent people. And I would love to support those people and I would be out there rallying for those people and I'll raise money for them and all that. Do I particularly wanna go into politics? You know, it's, it's, a, it's an evil game. If you watch Game of Thrones, you know, Game of Thrones was the endless fight for power. And at the last episode of Game of Thrones, spoiler alert, but you know, basically everyone's dead. There's about six people left but is and it, they're pretty miserable. Is it fair to say you're thinking about it in relation to that race? Look, it, it sits there because people ask me about it. And uh, I, I think for now, at least for now, I mean, this is truly, this is truly the truth. For now, at least, my, my voice is better spent pushing, getting these ideas out If there's there. a big announcement next week, um, I'm gonna be really upset, Dave. So you gotta tell us now. <laughs> if there's a big announcement next week, I will email you beforehand. Okay, well, he said, there's not no truth in it, I believe was the phrase. So I, I think the technical term for that is a non-denial denial. Um, ladies and gentlemen, we there's have- There's not no truth. My God, that sounds like a uh, an answer of a politician. Jesus, we have, I have to think about we that. Have, we have the kind of edges of, a, of something that feels like it might be a world exclusive there. So thank you to Dave Rubin for talking to us about the last few years and what the next few years might bring. And thank you also to you for tuning in. This was Lockdown TV. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.